Tonight we're reading from the book of Galatians. We're starting a, a short series for a few weeks on the fruit of the Spirit. So I'm going to read tonight Galatians 5 and starting at verse 16 through verse 26. Galatians 5, 16 through 26. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law, and those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is the word of the Lord. Well, tonight we're going to begin a a short series on the fruit of the Spirit. Our text is Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And if you're with us listening tonight as a Christian, or if you're someone who's just evaluating Christianity, here's a human question. Can people change? And we, we talk about this a lot. We ask this a lot, don't we? Can people change below the surface, not just superficially change, but can they really change? Well, here's the teaching that's, that's in our text. Humans need to change. Humans need deep, internal change, and humans can't make this change. But the text is also telling us that God provides a divine agent of change. You can't change yourself, but God can change you. The Spirit of God, if the Spirit of God could could actually come in you, it can change you. So over the coming weeks, we are going to look at the, the specific character traits that God produces in us if if you have the Holy Spirit in you. This this the fruits of the Spirit, you can you can think of them this way. This is if if you are inhabited by the Holy Spirit, this, this list, the, the fruit of the Spirit, this is what God is making you. And so the text here lists nine specific character qualities. This week, we're only going to look at the first one. The, the first one is love. So let's look at five things about love. First of all, we, we see the struggle for love. First of all, there's a struggle for love. Secondly, we'll look at the importance of love. And then thirdly, the source of love. Then fourthly, the social engagement 
required for love, and then fifth, a beautiful love. So the struggle for love, the importance of love, the source of love, the social engagement required for love, and a beautiful love. So let's start with a struggle, the struggle for love, the struggle for it. Now, as you listen to the, the scripture reading, did you hear in it, did you hear in it struggle? Places like verse 16. It says, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. What he's saying is when a person becomes a Christian, when you became a Christian, something new came alive inside you. It's, it's the spirit of God. It's, it's something new that, that starts to spread inside of you. It's kind of like, you can picture it like, a, like an anti-cancer. So it's, it's like cancer, but it's not bad. It's, it's an anti-cancer. When, when a person gets cancer, something terrible comes alive inside of them and it starts to spread all over their body and take over. This is, this is an anti-cancer. It's, it's like cancer. It starts to spread. It starts to take over you, but it brings life. It brings goodness, not death, in you. But it is a struggle. It is a struggle. It says here that the flesh lusts against the spirit. When a person becomes a Christian, what it's saying is war breaks out inside you. The newly arrived spirit of God inside you conflicts with your old flesh, your old unrighteous desires. They're still there. The remnant of it is there. And it will not go down without a fight. And so when you look at verse, uh, verses 19 through 21, those verses list a catalog of what all of us, what all of us naturally desire. At some level, all of us naturally desire these things that are listed here in verses 19 through 21. Look at what he lists. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Now, you hear that list, and some of those things, you may hear it and you say, whoa, that, some of those things, they actually repulse me. You, you, maybe perhaps you would say, I would never, I would never do some of those things. What, what do you mean... At some level, all of us desire these things. I would never commit adultery. Or I would never mess with witchcraft. Or I would never murder. I would never get drunk. But the word here is challenging you. The word here is is challenging you. Maybe you never did those things. But did you ever secretly desire those things? Even just a little? And, and, And if the circumstances in your life were, were set up in, in just the right configuration. If, if the pressure and the pain in your life were high enough, would you want any of those things? Would you do any of those things? If you could do any of those things and there would be no consequences, would you want even a little bit to do some of those things? It's, it's in all of us. All of us have the capacity to do any of those things. Christianity presents a theology of struggle, though. A theology of struggle. It's saying that if you're a Christian now, for the first time, 
in your life, you can hope that change is possible in you. That, that, that in the struggle to become, your own struggle to become a better person, to become a good person, God is on your side in this. It's saying that God is at work in you, through his spirit, living in you, moving in you. And, and this presence of God in you, it's producing struggle and it's producing change. And, and that's the theology of, of sanctification. That, that's what sanctification, the lived experience of sanctification is. But look at how he describes this. Verse 16, he says, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Verse 17, but then he says, you do not do the things that you wish. And if you're a Christian, isn't that what you've, you, you run into over and over? You don't want to do those things, but you end up doing them. And so the change in sanctification, it's often, it's usually gradual. It's like a tug of war. If, you, if you've ever been in a tug of war match, if you ever watched a tug of war match, you've got the two sides, right? One rope, two sides. And, and they're pulling on the rope. And, and as the contest plays out, you, you see one side start to drag the other side closer and closer to the line. Or, or maybe it shifts and then it's dragging in the other direction. But every inch of the tug of war is strained and tugging. That's how it is with sanctification. Your struggle, whatever your struggle is, the the live struggle that you have, whether it's your struggle against quarrelings or or against jealousy or or anger or some kind of addiction, if you are engaged in the battle, if you are are in the tug of war, you are finding that growth and, and formation, it's gained one inch at a time. And and in the words of verse 17, so often, even though you have the Holy Spirit in you, you still don't do the things that you wish you would do. You still fail at times. You fail at, maybe you fail at being patient. Maybe you fail at, at diffusing your anger. Maybe you still fail at times to put to death your appetite, whether it's for porn or for partying or for substance. You fail at times. You don't do the things you want to do. And if you've come to know Jesus Christ, if, if you've humbled yourself, if you've confessed your wrongs, if you've cast yourself on his death and on his goodness, and you've committed yourself to him, what you find is, even though you're in this tug of war, there is this new appetite in you. You don't want to do those things. You're sick of them. And the desires of the Spirit of Christ, they're in you. And you've got a desire for these things that are in verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit, the personal qualities of Jesus. You long to have them be you, to have the Holy Spirit produce them in you, spread them in you, spreading like this anti-cancer, spreading in you like, like the way that good news on the battlefield spreads among the soldiers, that, that, the, that the tide has turned, that the battle has turned. If you're a Christian, you don't want to be surprised at the struggle. You don't want to be discouraged by the struggle. You don't want to quit the struggle. It's normal. The struggle is a sign that the Spirit is in you. And, and you, 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 have to, you have to expect that the struggle is not going to end as long as you're alive on, on this side of life. And so don't stop. Don't quit. God will complete the good work he's begun in you. You can walk in the Spirit The flesh and sin, they no longer have dominion over you. The tyrant has been toppled. So there's the struggle for love. Now, let's look at the importance of love. 
the importance of love. Verses 22 through 23 lists the fruit of the Spirit. There are nine of them. And when you see that list of the fruit of the Spirit, think of it this way. Those nine things, this is how people one day will describe you. After your life is over, if you're a Christian, specifically if you're a Christian, there's a day that's coming when your life on earth will be finished and God is going to take you into his heaven and in that day the struggle is going to cease and you're going to enter the end of your sanctification. You're going to enter your glorification, the completion, the perfection of what God has begun in you. And on that day and for the rest of eternity, people will describe you using the words of these nine fruit of the Spirit. God himself will see in you and describe you that way. Verse 22, he is going to see in you a person who is full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and long-suffering and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And in, it'll be as if, if you're, when you're in heaven, if for some reason you needed a letter of recommendation, I have no idea what, how things will be working in heaven, but maybe, maybe you'll need a letter of recommendation. On your letter of recommendation, that is how people and that is how God will describe you. And so today we're going to focus on the first of these qualities, love. You're going to be a person marked by love. It's forming in you now. The fruit is coming out now, and you will be a person marked by love. What is love? One, one theologian describes love as self-giving for the benefit of others. Self-giving for the benefit of others. The standard Greek lexicon defines this love, agape, this way. Warm regard. Warm regard for and interest in another. Warm regard for and interest in another. And so maybe you could put these together and, and you could define love this way. It's affection and it's care expressed by self-giving. Affection and care for another person expressed by self-giving. And so love is the most important of all of these qualities listed here. It's more important than joy. It's more important than self-control, love is. Love is the first in the fruit of the Spirit. And in many ways, love, you you can easily see if you just look at that list, in in many ways, some of those fruit, you could see that they're just really a sub-fruit of love. And the priority of love, it really is the consistent priority of, of the entire Bible, not just here in this list. If you take... If you take just the teaching letters of the New Testament, the epistles, almost every single epistle, every single one practically, has a climax in it where love is at the peak. For instance, Romans. Take the book of Romans. Romans is that, that magisterial exposition of the doctrine of justification by faith. But what you find is you, when you read through the flow and, and, you, and, you, and you trace the shape of Romans, you see love at several pinnacles in Romans. For instance, Romans eight twenty-eight, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And then Romans 13, verse 8, another pinnacle. 
owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. That's Romans. But other examples where where you see the same pinnacle of love. Colossians, Colossians 3.14. But above all these things, above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. First Peter 4.8, another example. He says, and above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. And we see this in, in, in the Gospels. Jesus himself, he takes all of the commandments in the Bible. And, and you've heard this before. We, we estimate that in just the Old Testament, there are about 600 commandments in just the Old Testament. Jesus collapses all of them and sums them all up into two commandments. Both of them are commandments to love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and strength. And love others. Love your neighbor as yourself. You could almost say it this way. If, if you wanted to know the goal of Christianity, I think you could sum it up like this. God's goal is to save a people, to reconcile a people, and to create a people who love. Now, why is, but why love? Why is love so important? Why is it, why is it first? I, th- I think Perhaps it has to do with something about the nature of God himself. The Bible tells us in 1 John 4, 8, God is love. And love is important because God himself is love. And if, if God is causing you, believer, to become like him, then God is making you to be a person of love. What most, what most needs to change about you, what most needs to be forming in you, it's not your degree requirements that you would, you would finally satisfy all the requirements for your degree, and not your, your certifications for work, and not your financial security, not your intellectual development. What most needs to form in you today and all your days is love, that you would be a loving person, that you would be able to love people, all people, that you would be able to love God. And that, that whomever God brings into your life, however briefly he brings them into your life, it may just be a person in passing at the checkout, or however long, it could be decades, whomever God brings into your life, that you would love them, and that they would sense that they are loved by you, and that you, in your heart, that you would be able to hold them in love, not, not in contempt, not in grinding frustration, but that you'd be able to hold them in love, in your heart. Well, for how long? For, and to what extent? That you would be able to even love your enemies, Jesus says. Here's a, here's a little test to see if love for you is, is most important. If love is, is the chief thing for you, 
let's say you have a, a quarrel with someone. We all do. What's the most important thing for you in that quarrel? Is it to be right or is it to love the person? Is it to be seen as, as the one who's right or is it to be seen as loving the other person? Love is more important than being right. And so the, the question is, is, is love becoming the defining characteristic that people see in your life about you? If you are a Christian, if you are a Christian, love has to be the impression you leave with people. And so we see the importance of love. Next, let's look at the source of love. Where, do you, where does this kind of love come from? Where do you get this kind of love? Well, the Bible says this kind of love is from God. 1 John 4, 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And so if anyone, anywhere, whether they're a Christian or not, if they show true love for another person, you know this. They may or may not be a Christian, but that love that they showed, that love came from God. Love is of God. Now, what are we talking about? This kind of love that comes from God. I mean, it was starting to sound like abstract. It's like poetry. What do we do with this? Well, it involves both your, your heart and your hands. Your heart, but actions as well. You've got to have both. It involves both heart and hands. Two questions you can ask yourself along these lines. There's a person in your life. If there's not a person like this in your life, there will be. It'll probably happen this week if you don't have one yet. There will be a difficult person to love, or there will be a group of people who are difficult to love. Okay, so, so uh, maybe for you, it's, it's the frat house next door. The first question, in your heart, are you offended towards them or are you affectionate toward them? So we're, we're asking about the heart. Are you offended towards them or do you have affection towards them? This, this person or this, this group, which this person is always flying up your nose, like, like some gnat that you accidentally inhaled. And you're, they, they say these things, they do these things, uh, and it's, it's like they're poking you in the eye. Do you have affection for them? And if you don't have affection, if you don't have warmth, if, if, you, don't, if, you, if you look into your heart and you realize, I, I don't have compassion for that person, for those people, you need the love of God. The second question is this, and this gets to action. What has your love cost you? You say, I do love them. I, I, feel, I, yeah, I feel affection towards them. What has your love cost you? Love has to come from your heart. Love can't remain in your heart. It's got to be demonstrated. God's love cost him. Love, real love, it always will cost you. And so, so consider this person or consider these people whom God has placed in your life, does your love for them, does your love cost you? 1 Corinthians 13 says, love does not seek its own. Love is not self-seeking, trying to get that person, trying to get that group to supply you, to to satisfy you. That's all backwards. It's backwards when you say that you love someone, but they feel like you're sucking them dry. Jesus says this is love. First, first John 3.16 By this we know love because he laid down his life for us and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. 
But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? And so it's saying your love has to cost you something. Real love, it, it will take something out of you. Maybe here, just along the lines of this, this from, from First John, you see a fellow human. Some fellow human being, maybe you see the, the poor in the community. You see the community poor. Will you give yourself? Will you give of yourself? Someone needs a ride. Someone needs company. They're lonely. Someone needs conversation. Will you make the call? Will you stop by? Love will cost you cash. Love will cost you convenient. Love will take away your comfort. So we've, we've looked at the struggle for love. We've looked at the importance of love. We've looked at the source of love. Now let's look at the social engagement required for love. Love is social. Love is social. Love requires people. Love requires relationships. God's love always lands on someone. There has to be a person in order for there to be love. Before the beginning, we see this with God, before there, was, there were any people, God who is love, the love of God had to land on someone. And the love of God, well, who, who did he love? If he's love, who did he love? If it was before there was any people. And the love of God, the Father, poured onto the Son from all eternity. And the love of the Son poured onto the Father. John seventeen twenty four. the Son speaking of the Father to the Father. Jesus says, you loved me before the foundation of the world. I in him and him in me, they were always delighting in one another. He had known the glory of the Father. They were caught up in one another. And this means if you have this love and it's in you, you have the love of God in you, you, need to, you, need to, you find that you need to fill your world with some people. You need to populate your world with people and you love them. You want to love people. And if you have this love, you're, just, you're not content to always sit at home by yourself. Love must have people. Love must have social engagement. It's kind of like this. In our, in our family, there comes a, 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 an age where we say, okay, you are, you are now old enough, you are now responsible enough that yes, you may have matches. Yes, you can have a lighter if that's what you want. Yes, you can have a, a flint and a, a steel to start a fire. And, and you can have it. And when you get that, like let's say it's one of those cool lighters. What do you want to do with your new lighter? You have to find something to set on fire. You've got to find it. And and you've got to burn something. That's how God's love is. You must find someone to love. And so love moves towards people. Love moves towards people. Look at the number of ways that the Bible describes that God's love, if we have God's love, it, it causes us to move towards people. Love moves towards people in the congregation, other believers. John thirteen thirty five. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Love also moves towards people in the community, not just in the congregation, but also in the community. 1 John 4, 9. In this, the love of God was manifested towards us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world. He moved into the world that we might live 
through him. You also find that if you have this love, this love makes your heart heavy for those who don't believe, for those who are outside of the faith. Romans 9, I tell you, I tell the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart for I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. Paul, Paul has this burden for, for the, the other people of his family, of his people who don't know Christ. And so his, his, his love moves him uh, and gives him this great sorrow and burden for them. Love also is expressed this way, moves towards people this way. Love honors and embraces the poor in our midst. Love honors and embraces the poor who are in our midst. James 2. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing fine clothes, and say to him, you sit here in a good place, and you say to the poor man, you stand there, or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you've dishonored the poor man. If you really fulfill the royal law according to scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. So love honors and embraces the poor in our midst. It's, it's a fulfillment of the royal law of the scripture. We also see this love has a burden for the lost. Love searches for the lost. Romans 10, Paul is heartbroken for those who are lost, those who are without God, those who are without hope in the world. And so we are sent and we go in love to search for those who are lost. We're, just, we're looking for them. We're, we're scanning the highways and the bushes looking for them. Maybe you remember, you've seen scenes of how when there's an earthquake or when there's a, a flood and, and mud buries the town, people will spend days, weeks, digging through the rubble, digging through the mud, searching for the lost ones, searching for the loved ones who are lost, hoping, just hoping they'll find one, two, and, and be able to pull them out of the rubble and save them. That is the impulse of love. That impulse of love is what drives Christians into missions, into into spreading the offer of Christ to those who are lost. Romans 10, 13. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How? How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe on him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Could it be that some of you, whether you're young, whether you're old, whether you're a child, or whether you've already retired, could it be that God has put such love in you that you are going to be sent by him to those who are lost now, we close by, by looking at a beautiful love. Jesus Christ, 
Jesus Christ, the glory of heaven, the treasure of heaven. He came to earth and he became a man for one purpose. He came to die. He came to die for those whom he loved. Now there are many things in the Christian faith that seem too good to be true. Heaven, heaven after this life, it can sound too good to be true. But this, this perhaps is the hardest claim to believe. The gospel tells you that before you were born, the Son of God had you in his heart, believer. His affection for you, it began before you were even born. And his love, it was never conditioned on anything that you could contribute or that you would achieve. And that means his love can never be taken away by any of your crashes or any of your screw-ups. Ephesians 1, 4, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love he predestined us. Before the foundation, before you were born, in love he predestined us. You see what that's saying? It's saying he, he doesn't merely tolerate you. Can't you see he's caught up with you? That he's crazy about you? And not only does he hold you in affection in his heart, he acted. It wasn't just in his heart. He acted on it. He, he put it into action, his love. And in the gospel, Jesus climbed down from his throne. He climbed down from heaven down to earth. And he climbed up to his cross. And both that, that, that descent from heaven and that shameful ascent to the cross, that was the inarguable expression of his love for you. 1 John 3.16, by this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. It expressed Christ's love, it expressed God's love. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to, the be, to be the propitiation for our sins. How do you know? How do you know that someone loves you? It's when they will do whatever it takes to ensure your well-being. They will lower themselves, if that's what it takes to lift you up. They will carry you when you're burdened. They will wait for you, and they will wait a lifetime for you. And they will exhaust their wealth to make you rich. All of that Jesus did in entirety, in eternity, on the cross. And his love is an undying love. It, it won't diminish with age. John 13 Jesus knew that his hour had come and that he should depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. And if you see this, if you see this love of Christ that will go all the way to the end, it speaks to a number of things. It speaks to your insecurity. It speaks to your, your low self-worth. It says this, Jesus treasures you. And that means you can say, he is the son of God, the exalted one who loved me and gave himself for me. It doesn't matter how I compare to others because to him, I've been treasured for a million years past and I'll be treasured by him for a million years to come. And, and if you see this, it also speaks not only to your insecurities, it speaks to your fears. You're afraid. There are things that keep you up in the night. You're worried. You're afraid about the future. You're afraid that tomorrow things are going to get worse. 
but don't you see that if Christ loves you, he acts for your welfare. He will act for your good. And whatever tomorrow brings for your career or for your family, it cannot separate you from his love. And that means his love is going to work for your welfare even on the day that stalks you in the night, in your fear and in your terror. It speaks to our insecurity. It speaks to our fear. And finally, it, it speaks to our sin. The, the, the detestable things in you that must be put to death, that must change. The challenge that we have about our sins is that we despair and we just give up. We think it's no use. I haven't changed. The, the tug of war is not moving in the right direction. But when you know, when you know that he loves you, it comes with a question for you. Do you love him? Do you love Jesus? Believer, Jesus loves you. Do you love him? And this is what will keep you resisting sin. And Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And that, that's a perfectly reasonable expression. In a marriage, this is what one person might say to the other. If you loved me, if you loved me, you would remember what I've asked of you. And so the, this is what Jesus asks you. Do you love me? And you hear that question, and maybe you're like Simon Peter. John 21, Peter was grieved because Jesus said to him the third time, do you love me? And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Do you love him? He knows. Let's pray. Lord, we know that you love us, but we, we forget and we start to doubt it and we always spiral down when, when your love seems distant, when your love seems diminished. We pray that your love towards us would be great in our sight and that we would be able to carry it from here throughout our week, throughout our days, and it would encourage us, that it would speak to us when we feel ashamed, that it would speak to us when we're afraid, that it would speak to us when we're tempted. And we pray, Lord, for those who have not yet come to know the love of God in Christ, that your love would be beautiful in their sight, and that they would come in. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.